Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There are moments in our life when we are shaped through adversity and challenge, propelled through turbulent change. We're presented with an opportunity to take wings and soar from a dark place to one of light. I'm Leslie Salem, founder of Over the Bloody Moon, on a mission to remove the muddle from menopause. In our podcast, we meet women from all walks of life and experience to share their tales and tools of positive transformation. Come join us for the flight. Today's show is called Riding the Waves. John Kabat-Zinn, founder of Mindfulness, once said, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. In this episode, we'll be exploring how women can learn to embrace the unexpected and challenges as they transition through life. I'm delighted today to welcome Rebecca Hill, our executive coach advisor at Over the Bloody Moon and co-founder of Wise Sherpa. Rebecca has 25 years experience working in the city where she championed and nurtured female leadership. Her observations and mentoring during this time gave her insight into knowing how women can remain in their stride as they age and hit menopause at work. Rebecca is co-founder of Wise Sherpa, coaching and supporting senior professionals and startup founders. Rebecca, welcome. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, Leslie. I'm delighted to be here. So today's episode is called Riding the Waves. Um, And when we've spoken before about this, it's been in the context of women transitioning through midlife or whenever menopause hits for them. Um, But what does riding the waves mean to you? So for me, I suppose it starts with my very personal journey around the perimenopause and the menopause. And um, having always found that whole sort of ladder of life, a very masculine model, if you like, I've always had an affinity with this idea of waves. And I see the female life cycle much more like waves where, you know, it goes up, it goes down. Sometimes the times are really good. Sometimes it's a lot tougher, but it's it's far less linear and much more sort of organic, I suppose, really, for women. We have so many more things that we think about and juggle with, etc. So that's my, what I think of it personally. That's how I um, connect with it personally. In the context of the menopause, I think that was your question, I think riding the waves is a great analogy because it allows us to understand, again, that whilst it can be very, very tough when you figure out what on earth's going on with you, actually, and that took me a very long time to realise what was going on with me and that, in fact, it was a very severe case of perimenopause that there will be another crest to the wave, yeah, so that things will will get better. 
as uh, as you go on that journey. I love this analogy. I can relate to it absolutely. Um, you know, with my own experience, I'm sure the listeners, you know, will too. There's a rhythm and a flow to it. Uh, sometimes it's calm. Sometimes it's stormy. Sometimes yeah. you've surfaced up, haven't you? And you've got to get knocked <laughs> just as you take your breath. There's a fluidity to it. Yeah. And I also, I, I'm intrigued, we'll talk later on about this kind of non-linear versus you know the roadmap of life reality versus yeah. the ideal so let's just come back to menopause and um, why can this be a challenging transition for, for women well look I, I i'm a big believer in understanding context right because once you understand context you can understand better where you fit in and i think every woman's journey around the menopause is totally individual and going back to the wave analogy you know it can be physical it can be psychological you know there's so many elements to it the context piece is really really important for me so if we think about our mother's generation they were the first women to go into the workplace and have careers i would say yeah of some shape or form but most of them did not have full-on full-time careers yeah if we think about our grandmothers many of them would only have had careers until the point they got married at which point they were asked to stop working yeah so for us we're really the first generation that has gone in had full-on careers and in are advancing through in critical mass into leadership positions and that therefore means that we're the first big group of women to go through the menopause in the workplace in I would say more senior roles, full on, full time. Yeah. And in fact, the statistics tell us within the next 10 years in the UK, 50% of the workforce is going to be aged 50 and over. And if you think that the biggest growing group of professionally active individuals is 50 plus aged women. Yeah. So I think the context is really, really important when it comes to menopause, because all of a sudden we're having totally different conversations around the menopause than we might have done historically. And I think that is because of that big shift and women are having to deal with the menopause in a very open public way that they historically might not have had to do. I think that's really, really critical for me is sort of understanding that. I think then we can start talking about what are we going to do about it. Yes, I mean, this whole publicness is very, very true. I hear in our community, women feeling sort of, you know, vulnerable, exposed, not wanting to disclose how they're, they're, they're feeling under the scrutiny of others, even though we're often much more acutely aware of not feeling quite right. Yeah, and I look, I think there's also a generation, part of that generational shift is we're Generation X, so roughly born after 1965, before 1982, 83, roughly, right? And so, um, you know, part of that shift is that we also lived our lives, <laughs> maybe a lot of us kind of back to front in a funny way. You know, if we did have uh, children, we had them on average far later, so in our mid-30s onwards. And uh, we've also got elder care pressures. So we're finding ourselves in this very open, vulnerable space with an increasing amount of pressures on us that maybe previous generations wouldn't have had because typically by the time women reached menopause, if they did have children, you know, that those children would have left home. So I think there's also that, the context piece there is really critical as well. So we're having to deal with the menopause 
some of us, like me, I've got a 10-year-old daughter. <laughs> and that's a very, very different dynamic to my mother, who we'd left home. Yeah, completely, completely different. And what you're talking about as well is the roadmap. So I think one of the things that some women can struggle with is that societal norms gives us what we're supposed to be doing and the order in which we're supposed to be doing it. And that's where the difficulty can come in for women where they feel perhaps they've failed because they haven't lived life in a sequence. And particularly when they get into menopause, it so happens to collide with decisions and, you know, what is next. And there isn't that map in front of them. So when there's an element of of the unknown and unpredictability, that's, you know, can be really unsettling for some women. So what tips have you got to share when we we haven't got that map and we are starting to think about a non-linear life? Yeah, and look, I I totally agree. We are actually the group that is now trying to forge and create that that map, aren't we? And have those really bold and brave conversations. And that's I know that's the work that you're doing, Leslie, and you're doing fantastic work. So to answer your question, there's a couple of things that I think are really useful. First of all, I'm I'm a big fan of frameworks. <laughs> Context and frameworks makes me sound like a consultant, but I I do. I find it really helpful because then I can anchor myself in that and in the work that I do with my clients as well I have found that that is they find that really useful because all of a sudden it feels a lot more manageable so the idea of transitions has been around for a long time but I I think it's helpful when we think about the menopause in as a transition yeah and we will have many transitions in our lives and those can be personal transitions they can be professional they can be uh, psychological they can be physical and they can be what we call purpose-led transitions as well. I think the menopause touches on all of those. You know, it, as I said, it's very, very individual, very personal to each um, woman. And so when you think about it in that context of a transition, you know that there's going to be a start, a middle and an end. Yeah. And so therefore, it goes back to the wave analogy. If you use that as a framework, you can say, OK, I can see what's going on, where I might be headed. The tools question is really critical. You and I have talked about this since we first met, right? And I think what it boils down to in the end is understanding the transitions, particularly in the context of this 100-year life that many of us, 50% of us, will be heading towards, yeah? So this middle section is going to be very, very long for us, hopefully, And so really thinking about how am I going to manage that in good health, psychological, physical, all of those transitions I talk about. The second piece is finding your tribe. Again, that's the brilliant work that you're doing, which is around women wanting to find information and a way to connect with each other to discuss share and 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 grow through that information really that information exchange that's that's how we process that's how we work through stuff right and that's exactly what you're trying to do over the bloody moon so understand transitions find a tribe yeah with really good curated content in in a context like yours with other women like-minded women who you can go on that journey with and then I think there's a few tools that you can access as well and I know again you know there's a plethora of tools out there and that bit 
again, is, is very individual, but try a lot of different things. By tools, some people might go for the medicalized route for menopause, and that's absolutely fine if that works for them. But others want to explore lots of other tools. My own preference is around compassion-based mindfulness. I find that a really powerful tool. I also use osteopathy, cranial osteopathy. I find that really, really powerful, allied with Pilates. So, but it has taken me a long time to find the right tools for me. And I think that's part of it. So it's those three things that I think really fundamentally underpin the transition. You can also use alternative tools alongside HRT as well. It doesn't have to be an an either or, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's recognizing and accepting one is in a transition as well, rather than fighting it. Uh, accepting that you know what what is this opportunity what am I going to learn and grow from it and there's an element as well isn't there of like letting go uh, and starting to look forward Um, some women will find the work work like I do the coaching work quite useful as well you know they I, I have a couple of clients at the moment who are very very private joining a tribe where they talk openly isn't appealing to them so I think coaching can be really helpful in that context as well and I'm not not trying to push it I'm just saying yeah we've all got our individual preferences right yeah well there's there's an element of you know when you're dealing with change um and standing in the unknown that can be quite scary for some women and it's just nice to have a holding hand alongside you a cheerleader um and and a lot of that as well is about dedicating time to ourselves for reflection. Some people are really good at that and they can just do it on them, you know, by themselves. But for, for women that are busy, that tend to prioritize other people, having someone in your life where you've got a set amount of time each week or however long it is, where you can sit and think about, you know, what's going on for me? What have I learned? What's not nourishing me? Is, is just such an important part of making the best out of this transition. You've put it so elegantly, Leslie. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, and, and different people will be looking for different tools, as we said, to nav- help them navigate that journey um, and different ways of, of creating their tribe. So for women that are at this point in life where they are exploring identity and purpose, but might not know what the first step is, you know, how how can they go about that? I think they can go about exploring identity and purpose at midlife in a number of different ways. And it's going to depend a little bit on what your preference is in the way you do things. So I think you and I are both data and fact finders. We like our data. That's why you've set up over the bloody moon and you've gone out and you've done a lot of reading, a lot of research and a lot of talking to people. That's how I approached it as well. And so that is one way of doing it. And then taking time to sit down, process either through journaling or through coaching conversations or whatever whatever way works for you to start exploring what actions you want to take yeah but I do think probably the first step is to educate yourself a bit and understand better where where you're at and what 
what's happening for you you know that can either be kind of the physical symptoms psychologically you know all of that because it's all tied up in that kind of identity and purpose piece yeah but one thing that we do see is that when individuals reach middle slash you know that that sort of encore phase if you like of their lives is that purpose starts to take on a bigger meaning why is that I think it's to do with a number of things. You become more aware of the fact that you are probably a tiny cog in a big world and you start wanting to look at what your legacy could be. And legacy, it doesn't have to be big L. It can be very small, you know, from from what you want to create for your family and hand down to your family, you know, free to your community, whatever you want to be, or, or on the world stage, you know, it really doesn't matter but I think there's a shift that happens in that mid to later life transition where purpose does take on a much bigger space and I think spirituality as well starts to take on a bigger space as well because I think in the first part of our lives we're so busy doing 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 and then we start questioning what all the doing was about and what what the next phase is going to be like that's very culturally dependent as well, Leslie, because there are other, other cultures have different approaches. Mm. But I would say in the Western world, that is very dominant cultural norm. There's something as well, I think, around fertility and the way that that, that plays out. Absolutely. So we have women in our community who are childless, have never had kids, you know, and there is something, uh, I suspect, with them earlier on in life where they realised that they weren't going to have a family or that they didn't want to have, you know, kids, that that was their choice or not their choice. Absolutely. But that's another transition that you're dealing with. And in menopause as well, this can resurface. Yeah. You know, either you have kids and you're saying goodbye to them, they're moving, they're independent, they're leaving the nest, or you don't have kids and you're saying goodbye to that chapter, you know, as well. And this is another part of how we ourselves find value in what we bring to society beyond fertility. Absolutely. And I think that's so true. My sister doesn't have children, you know, her and her husband don't have children. And we have quite a lot of conversations about that. So, you know, this the framing of childless, child free, and it's a big part of the midlife transition for women, you know, and specifically the menopause transition. I mean, Victorians thought that women over 50 by and large were just utterly redundant you know Mm. there was actually literally no reason for them to be alive yeah I think the literature said there was no purpose to them at all sometimes I wonder if the thinking has progressed much actually (laughs) from those times because there is still that sort of feeling for menopausal women that they are very very invisible yeah I think our generation is trying to address that really fight that stereotype because what we do find is interesting little data fact managers of complex change the most successful managers of complex change i.e being able to get stuff done knowing that about 80 percent of change projects don't succeed are women age 60 plus yeah and i think there's something inherent in our life experiences that we deal with far greater levels of complexity i also read that our limbic system that is responsible for organizational management is much more complex than the male brain 
that's interesting. I hadn't read that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it comes down to we can argue nurture or nature, but in at the end, we we observe what we observe, right? And and we observe that that we have a series of capabilities that allow us to do things very successfully yeah mm-hmm. so and I do think again you know there's lots of stats around there around successful entrepreneurship being you know mid 40s plus actually I think in the UK it's 49 you know so the businesses that are still in business after five years profitably you know so there's lots of really good reasons in the context of this 100 year life why this transition if you can shape it as a positive thing and do it and navigate it well actually can set you up for really really healthy longevity Mm. yeah i mean i think what one of the important aspects i know we've spoken about the tools and the importance of of tribe we've also spoken about kind of you know the the approach of that but yeah i think when there's an awareness that this is happening but also a recognition that we might not have the role models we are the role models Yeah. yeah And coming back to your point about compassion, permission, experimentation, adopting a pioneering mindset is also really important to ride the waves. I love that. Yeah, pioneering mindset. Yeah, I really like Mm. that. I think it's true because we just know that the generations that are going to follow us are not going to have the same professional let alone personal experiences that we've had maybe that's part of our legacy right is to show to demonstrate how it can be done in a really positive way to engage with employers in the way that you know you've been doing but also from a policy perspective the government obviously has done as trying to do more around menopause getting menopause education into primary schools because all of a sudden, like my daughter, they're finding the primary school kids have got, they're the ones with the menopausal mothers. So I think there's a lot that needs to be done. And with that pioneer mentality, mindset, there's a lot we can do. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this non-linear life. So for someone like me, I was completely derailed. You know, I love a map, I love a plan, I love everything to go to plan. For women where you're kind of suddenly having to kind of, you know, let go of that and in a transition, there is a shift. And so we don't know exactly what our goal or our target is. What what have you found works well in terms of embracing non-linearity? Well, I think accepting. So I think it was you, you used the word accepting. So I had to accept that I had in my career today and my life, quite frankly, been following quite the masculine created, the dominant norm, that linear piece. I think the thing about the masculine dominated norm is I didn't realise it at the time. Yeah, I really didn't understand that. It's only when I went on the journey of looking at what was going on did I start to sort of figure that out. When you start sort of thinking about what the transition is going to look like for you, accepting that there are many parts to you, and I think that's what I was trying to say about those five different parts of the transition, is that you could be in any different stages. It really is not linear. I hate to overuse that word. It is, But um, really trusting yourself, your instinct, I think is critical. I think a lot of women have very good instinct well, a lot of people have good instincts but I think a lot of women have high emotional intelligence we know that from external research that was done large-scale data-driven research so we have 
a higher degree of emotional intelligence on average than men, a versatility piece. And so it's really about trusting that intuition that you've got, going on the journey, understanding that transitions will take time. So the average transition can take around four to five years. So it's an ultra marathon. It is not a sprint. Going back to the waves, understanding that there will be ups and downs, but that that's where the self-compassion piece comes in as well, is not beating yourself up during the downs and really understanding and valuing and appreciating the ups as well. There's also another aspect, isn't there, around playfulness? So I don't know if you've heard of the research that Daniel Lativin has done around ageing well. There's a fantastic podcast on Dr Chatterjee with him, about 90-minute podcast. Anyway, the idea is that number one trait for healthy longevity is curiosity. And I think that plays into the staying open, staying curious, trying lots of different things, your word, playful. And the research also that Herminia Ibarra did, Professor Insead around this, is really, really compelling as well. Trying on lots of different things for size and seeing what fits, fits with you, sits well. And, and that makes the menopause and this transition a really exciting time. Totally. Because actually, you know, for the first time, we're letting go, aren't we, of the plan. Yeah. Um, and if we treat it as, as kind of an empowering time to be playful, to be experimental, that's hugely liberating. And, and in the same way that when we were children and absorbing everything as a sponge, we've got that opportunity again in life. Yes, we do. I mean, I'm, the challenge is... It goes back to an earlier comment that you made around creating time to do that, right? So giving yourself permission to take the time to do that, really hard because we know that the ages of about 45 to 50 is when people are technically at their unhappiest, yeah? That, yeah, again, there's sort of quite large longitudinal studies on that. And I'm sure that's all tied in with the tra midlife transition and all of that. But it's also because they're incredibly busy. There are all those different demands, especially, as we said, if you've had kids later, ageing parents, all of that stuff. So it is about giving yourself permission to do that and, and, and carving out the time to do it. Yeah, because it's not going to happen of its own accord. Yeah, I like that word permission. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with that. Can we talk about how being a woman might be different to being a man in the context of linearity? Yes, we can. The challenge for me here is, yeah, I am of my generation, right? So I see it from my generation, probably the previous generation's perspective. I have a bit of an insight into future generations because I am a parent. But I think what it means for me is I predominantly worked with baby boomers when I first went into the workplace. My father was a wartime generation, so he would have been, I can't remember what they call that, but so it was very linear. You know, the expectation, the education system, everything was very linear and it was built around the male dominant norm. So what can women who are in positions of power do to support other women to help them in their organisation thrive? I think it goes back to what we were saying about being a role model and really a pioneer, I think was the word. 
uh, particularly if those women in positions of power and positions of leadership are perimenopausal or menopausal themselves there's a lot that they can do through the power of role modeling that doesn't mean that they have to go out and announce to the world by the way that they are perimenopausal or menopausal but it can be to ensure that they have got some form of policies and procedures in place and i'm not talking about hr box ticking by the way that's not what i mean i mean that women who are menopausal are aware of what support that they could expect from their employer that's one thing they can do and the other thing then comes back to as and when they think it's appropriate they can share their own journey and what's going on for them as well around the menopause because we've got to bust the taboos and it's only through being open and vulnerable ourselves as leaders can we bust any of those taboos. Yeah, and there's some fantastic companies doing great work where they have, you know, people in all levels of management are, are coming out to share their experiences and, and not just management, it depends what the industry is, but women are just stepping forward to share their stories. Um, and I think the more that we voice it, the more varied we hear that the experiences are um, and the more normalised it, it becomes. And it's only through conversation and understanding women's perspectives of how it is to work and also go through transitions that they can start to assert what leadership means to them in their authentic female way. And do you know what I found really interesting having done some work in organisations around this is that the men often have family members who are menopausal but they have no idea how to support them so through having open dialogue not only are they better able to support their colleagues and understand what's going on but it also has an immediate impact for them in their personal lives as well really tangible and I think that's that's really powerful and that's what I was trying to say about the bringing together then so that it becomes less about male leadership path different to the female leadership path etc it's more of a sort of coming together of those over time yeah fantastic well Rebecca thank you so much for your time today um I always love chatting to you um I think you know you've left the listeners with with lots to think about um I think you know my key takeouts from the conversation are that there are waves that happen in transition to you know the way that you unpacked the fact that, that there are different elements that are colliding you know there's no surprise that we are having to reshape and reform and and the only way to do that is you know through compassion permission experimentation and setting ourselves up with the right resources yeah so you know that is about tribe that's about tools that's you know could be medical options that could be lifestyle changes it could be support as you've said with with um, you know, having your cheerleaders, whoever they be, and and recognizing that being a woman and going through menopause is a unique midlife transition. You know, it's different yep. to men. We are, in many respects, a, a generation with our own, of course, unique pressures. And so, the way that we solve it, we can't look up to our mums and we can't, you know, look down. We have to be pioneers and to, you know, shape that and and to talk about it. So we're not going through it in an isolated experience. Absolutely. And thank you, Leslie, for in, inviting me. Uh, I always love these conversations. They're so powerful and they're so needed. And one of the things that 
always surprises me time and time again is, you know, how little knowledge there is out there. So the work that you're doing is absolutely invaluable, getting that knowledge in a curated, targeted way out to, to women who need it is, is, is critical. So thank you. I always like to finish on the question, you know, what's your secret on a personal level to feeling over the bloody moon? What makes me over the bloody moon? What I love more than anything else is jumping in our camper van with the family and just heading out for adventures. Big and small, marvellous adventures. That's what makes me over the bloody moon. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Lovely to catch up with you today. Yeah, good to catch up too. Bye for now, Leslie.